invite you to turn with me to page 126 in the back of your Psalters as we proceed to the baptism. Page 126. The principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism are these three. First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore our children of wrath, insomuch that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God, except we are born again. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us whereby the impurity of our souls is signified, and we admonish to loathe and humble ourselves before God and seek for our purification and salvation without or outside of ourselves. Secondly, holy baptism witnesses and seals unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father witnesses and seals unto us that he does make an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us for his children and heirs, and therefore will provide us with every good thing and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. And when we are baptized in the name of the Son, the Son seals unto us that he does wash us in his blood from all our sins, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. In like manner, when we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit assures us by this holy sacrament that he will dwell in us and sanctify us to be members of Christ, applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without spot or wrinkle among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. And thirdly, whereas in all covenants there are contained two parts, therefore are we by God through baptism admonished of and obliged unto new obedience, namely that we cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we trust in him and love him with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, and with all our strength, that we forsake the world, crucify our old nature, and walk in a new and holy life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sin, we must not therefore despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, since baptism is a seal and undoubted testimony that we have an, er an eternal covenant of grace with God. And although our young children do not understand these things, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism, for as they are without their knowledge partakers of the condemnation in Adam, so are they again received unto grace in Christ. As God speaks unto Abraham, the father of all the faithful, and therefore unto us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And this also the Apostle Peter testifies with these words, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Therefore God formally commanded them to be circumcised, which was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. And therefore Christ also embraced them, laid his hands upon them, and blessed them. Since then baptism is come in the place of circumcision. Therefore infants are to be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. 
and parents are in duty bound further to instruct their children herein when they shall arrive to years of discretion. That therefore this holy ordinance of God may be administered to his glory, to our comfort, and to the edification of his church, let us call upon his holy name. Let us pray. O Almighty and Eternal God, Thou who hast according to Thy severe judgment punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, and hast according to Thy great mercy saved and protected believing Noah and his family, Thou who hast drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, and hast led Thy people Israel through the midst of the sea upon dry ground by which baptism was signified, we beseech Thee, that thou wilt be pleased at thine infinite mercy graciously to look upon these children and incorporate them by thy Holy Spirit into thy Son, Jesus Christ, that they may be buried with him into his death and be raised with him in newness of life, that they may daily follow him, joyfully bearing their cross and cleave unto him in true faith, firm hope and ardent love, that they may with a comfortable sense of thy favor leave this life which is nothing but a continual death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, thy Son, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with thee and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Now, I ask you, parents, to rise at this point, and I'll ask these questions. Beloved in the Lord, Jesus Christ, you have heard that baptism is an ordinance of God to seal unto us and to our seed his covenant. Therefore, it must be used for that end and not out of custom or superstition. That it may then be manifest that you are thus minded, you are to answer sincerely to these questions. First, whether you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to all miseries, yea, to condemnation itself, yet that they are sanctified or set apart in Christ, and therefore, as members of his church, ought to be baptized. Secondly, whether you acknowledge the doctrine which is contained in the Old and New Testaments and in the articles of the Christian faith, and which is taught here in this Christian church to be the true and perfect or complete doctrine of salvation. Thirdly, whether you promise and intend to see these children when come to the years of discretion whereof you are the parents, instructed and brought up in the aforesaid doctrine, or help or cause them to be instructed therein to the utmost of your power. Peter, what is your answer? Yes. Joyce. Welcome. Yes. Jodine. Dear parents, a few moments ago we read the passages about Noah, and we read especially about God's covenant with Noah. We're going to hear a bit more about that later on, but we didn't read about the flood, and I, I want to just call your attention for a few moments to the, to the flood. The flood was, was God's judgment on the ungodly. But it, it's also the way God saved Noah and his family. Peter tells us that in, in 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21. And the interesting thing is that he compares the waters of the flood in Noah's day to the water of, of baptism. But how, how, in a sense, how could it be both? How could the floodwaters of God's judgment be also the floodwaters of salvation? What there have to be? There had to be an ark. There had to be an ark. And, and, and Noah and his family had to be brought in to that ark. 
the floodwaters of judgment with the floodwaters of salvation to Noah and his family because they were in the ark. Now what does that have to do with baptism? Well, just like the flood, the water of baptism by itself doesn't save anyone. It doesn't save your children. It doesn't save any of us. Baptism points to and assures us of the way of salvation in Christ. But it doesn't save us itself. The, the way to be saved is not through baptism. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ to whom baptism points. If your children and if, if any of us are to be saved, we need to be in Christ as the ark, our ark. And so your calling then is, as parents is, and as congregation, our calling is to seek to, to lead these dear covenant children and all our covenant children to Christ, to call them and, and urge them to be united with him by faith, to be united to him. And so as you raise these children, also your other children, teach them not to rest in their baptism, but to rest in Jesus Christ, to whom the one to whom their baptism points and assures them salvation is in him. And seek to not only teach them by word, but also by example, by seeking to be in Christ, being in Christ yourself through faith, continuing in that way. May the Lord bless you and strengthen you in that. We'll now proceed to the baptism, and as we prepare for that, as you just sing as congregation, Psalter 425, 425, and we'll sing stanza 3, and then after the baptism, we'll sing verse 5, standing.
pray for a blessing on the service and lift up our various needs before the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we thank and praise thee that thou hast forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and received us through thy Holy Spirit as members of thine only begotten Son, and adopted us to be thy children, and sealed and confirmed the same unto us by holy baptism. We beseech thee through the same Son of thy love, that thou wilt be pleased always to govern these baptized children by thy Holy Spirit, that they may be piously and religiously educated, increase and grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they then may acknowledge thy fatherly goodness and mercy which thou hast shown to them and us, and live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ and manfully fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion, to the end that they may eternally praise and magnify thee and thy Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only true God. Lord, we give thanks for the testimony of baptism that points to the reality that salvation belongs to the Lord. We thank and praise you, Lord, for your word that reveals that you are the salvation, you are the savior of your people. Of people who in and of themselves are as helpless as these two little children that have just been baptized. Lord, we acknowledge our helplessness before you and we thanks, give thanks that there is help for us in you. So we cry out to you for your help, for your blessing. Lord, we confess our sins and sinfulness before you. We have betrayed the reality of our helplessness in and of ourselves by this past week because as much as we would love to be able to say that this week, in the, this past week was 
a week of no sin for us, we, we know that's not true. We know it hasn't been a week free from sin. We've heard your law, your holy and righteous and good law, O oh God. And as we think about those commandments, we have to acknowledge that we have wandered from your way also in this past week. We confess that we have not trusted in the Lord with all of our heart. There have been times we've leaned on our own understanding more often than we probably would care to admit. We have not acknowledged you in all your ways, in all of our ways. So Lord, we confess that before you. We confess that we have gone astray like a lost sheep, all of us. But as we confess that, we confess that in, in, in humility, but we also com- confess it in hope and in faith because we read in your word that you are the good shepherd, the kind of shepherd who gives your life for the sheep, the kind of shepherd who in your mercy and, and love seeks out the sheep when they wander. And so we pray that you would seek us, seek us, And bring us back to you, O God, by your word and by your spirit. Be the shepherd of our souls. Be the restorer of our souls. And lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And and grant that this this day, this day of worship, this day of being in your house, of hearing your word and and, and witnessing the the, the sacrament of baptism would be a means in the the hand of your spirit to, to bring us to deeper repentance from sin and a deeper faith in Christ to more settled conviction and a more holy life. We give thanks, O Lord, for your many blessings to us in this past week. We give thanks for the the provincial election that was held on, on Monday. And Lord, as we think of the new government and we pray, we pray for them. We pray for the Premier, Premier Smith. We pray for those, all those who have been elected to government, also those who represent us in our various writings. And, and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would guide them in your providence in the time to come. Their decisions, O oh Lord, would be wise decisions. That you would bless those who have been elected to government, especially those who are confessing Christians, O oh Lord, that they would be faithful and be an influence for good. And you would give them much wisdom. We pray for the Premier as she thinks about forming a new cabinet, Lord. We pray for your guidance also in, 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 in her life, in, in those decisions as, as well, O oh Lord. We pray in thanksgiving too, Lord, for your blessings to us as a congregation. We thank you for, for Mason's continued recovery. We pray that you would please continue to help him and help his sisters and, and help his parents. Lord, grant that they may be able to joyfully and, and boldly confess you as their shield, their glory, and the one who lifts up their head, even in the midst of troubles and challenges and, and trials. So Lord, bless them and, and, and be near to them. We give thanks too for birthdays coming up, also tomorrow for couple of our older members, Lord, and we pray for Mrs. Becker 
thank you for your mercy shown to her and also to Mrs. Arnold Dusen, Lord. We pray that you would also then continue to show your mercy to them. We know that, as your word says, your custom is to show mercy to those who fear your name. What a comfort that is, also for them as they go forward into a new year, a new year with maybe some uncertainties. Always there's uncertainties for all of us, Lord, but maybe felt more than at other times. And we pray that you would keep them and bless them and grant that they would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless our offerings as we give them in thankfulness to you, our tithes and offerings. Bless this church, our congregation, O oh Lord, that we might be a faithful church, faithful to your word, that we would be faithful in a, a society, in a world that's so strayed so far that we might be a salt, O oh Lord, that has not lost its flavor, and that we might be a light that's set on a hill. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray, so that we would be enabled and strengthened to do this and to be this. We pray also that you would bless the work of AMG as they, as they seek to bring the gospel th throughout this world, O oh Lord, and we thank you, O oh God, for, for their work and Pray that you would continue to bless them and bless all those involved in it. We think of Nico Katzenberg involved in it as well. Lord, bless him and, and help him too. And grant, O oh Lord, that the gospel will continue to spread, not just through AMG, but through your church and through different organizations. Lord, that the gospel would be heard and proclaimed and heard and, and confessed and believed. Sinners would be saved and a church would be gathered and increased to the glory of your name. We thank you, O God, for your great mercies toward us and your great long-suffering. And as we turn to your word and consider the covenant of grace that you made with Noah and how that shows us and reveals to us the long-suffering of God, we pray that you would bless us with, and help us with your spirit. Be merciful to us and bless us in your grace for the glory of your name, for the name of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. You now have opportunity to give of your gifts and tithes and offerings for the cause of the church and for his kingdom. As I mentioned, the prayer of the second collection is for AMG, Advancing Ministries for the Gospel, and uh, then we'll sing and worship together Psalter 209, 209, we'll sing it to the tune of Psalter 388, it's a bit of an easier tune, so 209, we'll sing verses 1, 2, 5, 6, 7, and 11, all to the tune of Psalter 388.
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if someone makes a promise to you and then seems to forget it or seems to be failing to keep it, we can be tempted to wonder, can we really trust this person? And sometimes we can think the, the same way about, about God. The, the Bible's full of wonderful gospel promises, but, but sometimes it can seem like God isn't committed to His promises. To quote some of the words we just sang from Psalter 209, based on Psalm 77. We, we can wonder sometimes in, in, our, in our spiritual experience, has God forgotten to be kind? Shall I His promise faithless find? For me shall wrath henceforth replace his tender mercies and his grace. Back in March, the last time we had a, a baptism service for several covenant children, we looked at God's first gospel promise in Genesis 3.15. His, his promise to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the seed of Satan. His promise especially that the seed of the woman, referring ultimately to Jesus Christ, would bruise or crush the head of the serpent. It's a promise of salvation, a promise of, of grace. And, and we saw how God's announcement of this promise, He's announcing it in the middle of sin's mess on His own initiative and with a reassuring sign, how that shows us how serious He is about His gospel promises. And that calls us, we saw how that calls us to take His promises seriously. But sometimes it can seem like He's forgotten. His promises. It can seem like he's failing to keep them. Maybe it's just everything as we look around us at the world it seems to be falling apart or, or it could be in your own life or perhaps the lives of, of Christians around you. It, they just don't seem to connect with, with his promises. It could be trials that you don't understand. It could be going, you could be going through a time of spiritual darkness and perhaps even spiritual depression. It could be a struggle, your struggle with, with sin. There would be all kinds of things and we could be tempted to, to question God's commitment to His gospel promises. Tempted to doubt His faithfulness. Tempted to, to, to if we've never come to Him before, tempted to just stay away from Him. Or if we have come to Him, tempted to turn away, to turn somewhere else for hope and for help instead of to God. Well, that... That's really the struggle our text this morning, Genesis 9, verses 8 to 17, addresses. Noah and his family had just come through the worldwide flood. Everything had been destroyed. All flesh had been destroyed. But God had saved Noah and his family, as well as all the animals on the ark, two of every kind, and seven of the clean animals. He had saved Noah and his family, and he had brought them out of the ark. And how, how thankful Noah was. We, we see that, don't we, in his building an altar to the Lord at the end of Genesis 8. But yet the question could remain, what about God's gospel promise? His promise in Genesis 3.15, what, what about His promise that the seed of, of the woman would crush the head of the serpent? Those are understandable questions they, they could have had in light of the fact that God had just wiped out, He had wiped out the earth with a flood. And you know, there would have been understandable questions for the Israelites in the wilderness too, who, to whom Genesis, for whom Genesis was originally written. God had wonderfully delivered them from Egypt. 
just like he had delivered Noah from the flood. But between them and the promised land, between them and Canaan was a wilderness. And that wilderness was full of tests. And they were, they, they, there were all kinds of occasions to be tempted to question God's commitment to his promises to them. And we know they struggled with that, don't we? We know that. One whole generation, one whole generation, except for a couple, were died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Temptation to unbelief, to not trust, to, because it seems like God maybe is not fulfilling his promises. But God's covenant with Noah in our text addresses those kinds of temptations, not just for them, but, but also for us. It reassures us of God's commitment to His gospel promises and calls us, calls us and our children to a life of repentance and faith in Him and in His covenant promises also to us. The promises signed and sealed to these dear children in their baptism. That's the lesson we hope to, look, to learn as we look at our text under Genesis 9, verses 8 to 17 under the theme of God's gracious covenant with Noah. We'll see, first of all, its gracious character. Secondly, its gracious confirmation. And thirdly, its gracious, its gracious purpose. So first, the gracious character of this covenant. We see this especially in Genesis 9, verses 8 to 11. Just before this, God had blessed, he had blessed Noah, told him to be fruitful and multiply and, and and to be blessed in that way. And he had given him warnings there, but also the, the warnings against murder and those kind of things. But in, in Genesis 9, verses 8 to 11, we read that God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. Well, the focus, congregation, of these verses is God's covenant. God's covenant is, comes up at the beginning and it comes up at the end. And in Genesis 6, verse 18, before the flood, God had declared that he would establish his covenant with Noah. And it's interesting to note that, that this is the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible. It, it also is important to note that in the Hebrew, God's establishing His covenant refers to main, maintaining, renewing His covenant, meaning there's a covenant already in, in, in place. And that's implied in Genesis 3.15. But, but Genesis 6 mentions the fact of God's maintaining His covenant with Noah. And Genesis 9 now highlights its gracious character, the gracious character. But before we, we, we go there, we need to understand what is a covenant. We, the Bible uses covenant a lot. We use it a lot in a baptism service because baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant. But what is the covenant as the Bible uses it? Well, to put it very simply, a covenant is a binding relationship between two parties that involves binding commitments. A covenant in the Bible is much more serious than a contract. You can break a contract uh, you know, and, not, and not be guilty of, of a crime as long as you, you pay the penalty. But when you break a covenant, you are guilty of a crime, at least, at least before God. Because a, a covenant involves binding commitments. It, it's not meant to be broken, ever. 
So when God says here that he's establishing his covenant, he's, he's saying that he's establishing a binding relationship between himself and Noah and his sons and their descendants and really with the whole earth. He's establishing a binding relationship with his creation that involves binding commitments. So what our text emphasizes is the gracious character, the gracious character of this covenant. There are three things we want to know. First of all, notice its gracious basis. The basis for this covenant that God makes with Noah is the sovereign grace of God. You see that in verse 9. I, he says, behold, I establish my covenant with you. God, in other words, establishes his covenant by his sovereign will, his sovereign purposes. He decides to establish in his grace a binding relationship with his creation. That's what's at the bottom of it. The sovereign grace of God. You remember what we read in Genesis 6 verse 8? And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the key, congregation, to understanding everything that happens in Genesis 6 through 9. Noah was a recipient of God's grace, of his undeserved favor. That's what made him just and perfect and bl- or blameless in his generations. That's what saved him and everyone who was with him in the ark from the flood, while the rest of the world died under the judgment of God. That's what moved him. Its grace was what moved him to offer up burnt offerings to the Lord when he went out of the ark. And its grace is what made him and his family and, and the animals with him in the ark part of God's covenant. It was God's sovereign grace. That's the basis for this covenant. The second thing to notice is the gracious dimensions of this covenant. Who does God establish his covenant with? Not just Noah. With Noah and his sons and their seed after them. And with every living creature with them too. From the birds to the cattle to the wild beasts. From all that went out of the ark, God says. In other words, this covenant is a covenant that God establishes with his entire creation. That's the unique thing about God's covenant with Noah. It's a universal covenant that includes all people. It also includes each and every single one of us. And the whole world. The third thing, though, to notice is its gracious promise. What does God promise in his covenant? What is his binding commitment that he makes? Do you know, children? Do you know? He promises that neither or never, it's a strong no in the Hebrew, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. And he repeats it again in slightly different words just to make it so very clear. It's a gracious promise. You see, God in his righteous judgment had just sent a worldwide flood to destroy all flesh because of the great wickedness of humanity that resulted from the fall of Adam and Eve. And and he spared only Noah and his family and, and some of his creation, some of the animals through the ark that he commanded Noah to build. But but you see, the flood didn't cure the sin problem. God says that in Genesis 8, verse 21. We read it earlier. After Noah built an altar and he, and he sacrifices clean animals and, and birds on it as, a burnt, as burnt offerings, verse 21 says that the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground for man's sake. And then listen to what he says next. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. 
Do you see what he's saying? He's saying we're still evil. We're still sinful. We're still depraved by nature. The flood didn't cure the sin problem. And it doesn't take long to see that. And you keep reading. You keep reading Genesis 9, you'll find that out. And yet God promises, he promises that he will never again send a worldwide flood to destroy all flesh. That's a gracious promise. It's a promise. It's not a promise Noah and his family deserved. It's not a promise our wicked and ungodly world deserves. And it's not a promise that you and I deserve either. It's a gracious, a gracious promise. Do you see with the gracious character of God's covenant here in verses 9 to 11? What does it teach us? What does it tell us? Well, think about what it would have told Noah and his family. Think of what it would have told, what it would have told the Israelites in the wilderness. Wouldn't it have told them? Wouldn't it have reminded them? Wouldn't it have reinforced to them that God is such a gracious and merciful God? He's a God of great grace. How reassuring that is. And you think back to his gospel promise and our desperate need. Because God's grace, congregation, God's grace, we need a gracious God. We need a gracious God in order to be saved from sin and from God's judgment. And here this This gracious character of God's covenant confirms for us that although, yes, He is a just God who punishes, who judges wickedness, He is also a God of grace. And you see, that's an encouragement then, and that's a call then for us to seek Him, to humbly trust in Him, and to love and to serve Him. What a God He is! And then to think that this God, this God, is the same God who has entered into a gracious covenant a binding relationship with us and our children, that He will be our God and we will be His people. How humbling all this should be. How undeserving we are of such privileges. We don't deserve God's covenant promise to never again destroy the earth with the flood. And we don't deserve God's covenant promise to be a God to us and to our children. We don't deserve it. Do we understand your congregation? Do we understand just how gracious God is? And doesn't that call us to a life of repentance and faith in Him? Being included in God's covenant is a wonderful, a wonderful privilege as children. But it does not save you. It does not save me. It's a wonderful privilege, but we must embrace, we must embrace him and, and his promises to us in humble repentance and faith. Not to do that, not to trust in him, not to, re, to, to, to repent of sin and trust in the Lord is, is to reject him. And to reject him is to reject his salvation and to be under the wrath and the judgment of God. And so the gracious character of God's covenant with Noah reassures us of his commitment to his gospel promises and it calls you and me to a life of repentance from sin and a life of faith in him and in his promises to us. But maybe you say, it seems sometimes, it seems sometimes like his gospel promises are just empty words. That brings us to our second point as we consider God's gracious covenant with Noah. It's gracious confirmation. 
We see this, especially in verses 12 to 17, but I want to read just verses 12 and 13 for, for now. Verse 12, And God said, This is the token or the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. What's God saying here? What's he saying? He's saying that he's going to set his bow in the cloud. And, and children, do you know what, what, he's, what he means? Do you know what he's talking about? Well, he's, he's talking about the rainbow, isn't he? The rainbow. In the Hebrew, it's the same word as uh, it's used for, for a bow. A, a, a bow of a hunter or of a, of a soldier. It's a beautiful picture when you, when you think about that. How the bow is, is pointed upward to heaven. But I'm not going to go there this morning. But... But that, that's what he's talking about. That bow, that, that rainbow will be a token or a sign of the covenant that he had just established between himself and his creation. And he gives that sign, he gives that token to confirm to us, to confirm to us his, his faithfulness. He gives the sign to assure us that he will be faithful to his gracious covenant. To assure us that his promise never to judge the world with a flood again. This promise isn't an empty promise. It's a promise he will keep. That's what the rainbow tells us. That's what the rainbow means. And congregation and parents too. Today more than ever we need to remember that. We need to proclaim that. And we need to teach that to our children. Because what has our world done with the rainbow? With God's bow. It has hijacked it. It has stolen it. The so-called LGBTQ community has made the rainbow a symbol of proud defiance against God by using it to represent and promote the idea that we can do whatever we want with our sexuality. That's what those rainbow flags are all, all about. This whole month, the whole month of June, it's, it's ridiculous, is dedicated to promoting and pushing homosexuality and transgenderism and all kinds of, of sexual immorality, even on young children. If a girl says she wants to be a boy, or if a boy says she wants to be a girl, then we must help them transition. And the world, even parts of the professing Christian church, uses a rainbow to promote that. How sad. How sinful, how wicked this is. We need to be clear on that because God's word is clear on it, congregation. But it's also just as important to be clear. Just as important to be clear in light of all this to the world and especially to our covenant children what the rainbow really means, what it really confirms. It confirms that God is faithful. And he is gracious. He is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. That's what God is driving home in these verses here to Noah and his sons. He's assuring them of his covenant faithfulness. You know, notice he doesn't just say, I will set my bow in the cloud as a token of the covenant. Look at verses 14 to, 14 to 60. And it shall come to pass, he says, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God forgets. He doesn't mean that God forgets his, his covenant. It's God's way of assuring us that he won't forget ever, that he is mindful of his covenant. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. 
And the waters, here's the promise again, the waters shall no more, never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I, God says, will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Just in case we didn't get it. In verse 17 we read again, God says unto Noah, this, the rainbow, is a token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Dear children, dear young people, dear congregation, the rainbow is God's gracious confirmation of his everlasting covenant with Noah and all of us really. It's God's gracious confirmation of his faithfulness and grace. Now how are we to respond to that? We are to respond to that in repentance and faith in Him and His gospel promises. You see, God's, God's rainbow reassures us that He is and will be faithful to all His covenant promises. It, it, it's, and this is where it's important to, to, to notice that this is the first time, the first covenant that's explicitly mentioned uh, in, in the Bible. God wants us to pay attention here also as we consider His, his covenants down the road. His all his covenant promises. That is, he is faithful to all of them, including his promises to receive and to save and to keep and to renew and to help all who come to him in faith with all their sins. The rainbow in the sky, you see, it's a beautiful reassurance that God is committed. He is committed to, to being a savior. The rainbow is God's gracious confirmation to us and to the world, and yes, also to those in the LGBTQ community. Those who, 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 who maybe are living in, even in, in, in such sins as, as those, it's a, it's a confirmation that there's a Savior for sinners. And that should call us, that should encourage us, them and us, to forsake sin, to go to Him in repentance and in faith, to trust Him and to follow Him. The rainbow was a sign of God's covenant with creation. It was meant to reassure Noah and his family of God's faithfulness of God's mercy, of God's grace. And you know that teaches us something important about covenant signs. The purpose of covenant signs is to reassure us of God's faithfulness, His faithfulness to His gracious covenant promises. That's what the rainbow tells us. And that means that the purpose of baptism also, the purpose of baptism as a covenant sign is to reassure us of His faithfulness, His gracious covenant promise to be a God to us and our children. And it's important for us to remember this and to also then teach our children this so that we might see what a precious gift our, our baptism is. It's a precious gift, congregation. It's a gracious confirmation of God's faithfulness to His gracious promises in the Gospel. That should be an encouragement then as we raise our children and as we speak to one another to, 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 to point each other to, to trust in God, to trust His promises. He's faithful. He's faithful when we come face to face, when your children come face to face with the ugly reality of sin. When we're overwhelmed by conviction of sin, He's faithful. It's an encouragement in the midst of trials. And heartaches, he's faithful. God is faithful to his promise to be our God. What do you see? What a gift God has given us, not just with the rainbow, but also with, with baptism. 
What a gift. How foolish it would be, how dangerous it is to just throw it away. To say, I don't want anything to do with God. To refuse to trust and obey Him and to go our own way. God's gracious covenant with Noah and his family and all creation reassures us, congregation, of His commitment to His gospel promises. We see that in the gracious character of this covenant and in the gracious confirmation of this covenant. But lastly, also in the gracious purpose of this covenant. We ask the question, why did God establish this covenant with Noah? We're not told directly in our text. But it becomes clear when we think about it in the light of the rest of Scripture, and especially when we think about it in the light of Genesis 3, verse 15. After Adam and Eve... There, after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that he would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and that he would, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman's seed. But that was God's promise. It was a gospel promise. But that promised seed, you see, that Savior hadn't come yet. And in the meantime, in the meantime, humanity had become worse and worse, and it had become so bad that God had sent the flood and, and wiped out all flesh. Except for Noah, those who were with him in the ark. What if, what if God did that again? And what if next time he didn't spare anyone? What would happen to his promise in Genesis 3.15? It would never be fulfilled. There would be no Savior. There would be no salvation. Of course, that, that wouldn't happen because God is faithful to his promise. But you see, the problem is, the problem is that we, you, and I are so slow to believe it. God knows that. And in his patience, and in his mercy, and in his grace, and in an abounding love, he establishes his everlasting covenant with all creation so that we might know he is faithful to his gospel promises. The purpose of his covenant with Noah and his family and with all people and all creation, is to assure us of his commitment to his gracious gospel promise of a Savior and of salvation in Genesis 3.50. Do you see that with me? Don't we need, don't we need that reassurance over and over again? Aren't we so easily discouraged? Aren't we so easily sidetracked from living by faith? So easily tempted to doubt and so prone to unbelief? Aren't we so prone to wander and so prone to look to other things, other people, ourselves for, for our salvation? Don't, don't we need to hear again today after another week against which, another week which sin has battled hard against us? God's promise of a Savior and of salvation is true and it's sure. That's what God's covenant in Genesis 9 tells us. And that's what baptism, the baptism of these children, tells us too. Isn't it a blessing to be able to come to church and hear this and see this? Isn't it a blessing? God's salvation congregation is not a theory, it's a fact. He's committed to his gospel promises. So you and I, older ones, young, younger ones, children, young people, would live lives of repentance and of faith in Jesus Christ and in his covenant promises. Are you heeding this message? 
the message of God's gracious covenant with Noah. Perhaps you say, how do I do that? You do that by looking to Jesus. By looking to Jesus in repentance and faith. By counting all things lost for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, he is the seed. He is the seed that God promised would crush the head of the serpent. And how we live not waiting for his coming. He has come. In the fullness of time he came and he accomplished salvation by his death on the cross. And the promise of the gospel now, the promise also signed and sealed by the baptism of these two children, is that every sinner who looks to him shall be saved, truly saved, fully saved, and forever saved. You see the call here? The call is to look to Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't postpone that. Don't think that God's covenant with Noah means you're you're all good. There's no judgment coming at all. See, there is a judgment coming. Not by water, but by fire. 2 Peter 3, verse 7 warns us that the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by God's word, his God's covenant word with Noah, are being reserved for fire to the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of the ungodly. And Peter goes on to say that that day will come as a thief in the night. You see, don't delay them. Don't put off repentance and faith in Christ. But for you, dear struggling, dear weary child of God, the covenant with Noah should be such an encouragement. I know sometimes we wait, if we wait for Christ to return, we're tempted to doubt God's commitment to his gospel promises. There's trials that come our way. There's suffering. There's sin, not just around us, but but also within us. There's There's a mockery of the world. As they say, we hear them saying, where is the promise of his coming? And we can hear that and we can become discouraged. We can wonder sometimes, why is the Lord taking so long? It's not because he's forgotten because of his covenant with Noah. It's because he's so long-suffering. It's because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's because he's committed to his gospel promises. But one day Christ will come. And this world will be destroyed by fire. But for God's people, for those who are in Christ by faith, there, there will be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And then we'll enjoy the fullness of our salvation. And you know how, how we can know that for sure. It's because the Apostle John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, and God showed him, opened the door and so he could see into heaven. You know what he saw when he saw God on his throne? When he saw the Lord Jesus on his throne? He saw a rainbow. What a wonderful, gracious confirmation of his gospel promises. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for revealing to us the covenant that you made with Noah and his family. Thank you so much the rainbow, 
for what it really means. Thank you so much for the rainbow that's around the throne. Even now, what an encouragement that is, O oh God. So we come then with boldness to your throne, because it's a throne of grace. And we ask you, O oh Lord, to have mercy on us, and have mercy on our children, and have mercy on this world. Grant, O oh Lord, we would see the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that we would turn to him in repentance and faith, in lifelong repentance and faith for the glory of your name. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.